The classic Degrassis are starting to show their age, and Degrassi The Next Generation has a whole new look. Aesthetically, you can't compare the shows, but underneath, they're connected by an unapologetic desire to tell stories for youth in a truthful way, honestly reflecting the good times and the bad. Fans of the older show watch reruns with a strong feeling of nostalgia, not just for the shows, but for what life was like when they first watched them. And someday, the next generation will feel that too. 25 Years of Degrassi, a show like no other. Hello, Degrassi fans, and welcome to the Degrassi Kid Podcast, where each week we break down the history and impact of our favorite Canadian TV show. I'm Jocelyn, and this week we're taking a look into the first nine years of Degrassi The Next Generation. Everything from the reboot in 2001, all the way to the series being cancelled in 2009? What? (laughs) But before we get there, we have to take a look at what happened in between. In what ways did the internet change the way Degrassi told their stories? How did fans react when JT was killed off? And why did the college years cause Degrassi's ratings to fall so low that it ever got canceled in the first place? We're going to dive into the history and impact of Degrassi The Next Generation, and it's only going to happen here on a brand new season of the Degrassi Kid Podcast. So where did we leave off? Degrassi wrapped up the high school series in a summer finale movie called Schools Out. And Playing With Time is done with television production for good. Degrassi was officially over. Behind the scenes, Linda Schuyler stays connected with the honest entertainment lawyer Stephen Stone. The duo goes on to get married in 1995 and create their own production company called Epitome Pictures, Inc. At this point, Degrassi The Next Generation isn't even close to becoming an idea quite yet. But it's their brand new television series, Riverdale, that will create the perfect conditions for Degrassi to come back as a reboot series. Most of this story actually takes place in Stephen Stone's memoir called Whatever It Takes, and I'll link it in the description because it goes even deeper into the story than I ever could. But it's essentially this. Linda and Stephen are ambitious to create the first Canadian soap opera. So they begin production on a brand new series called Riverdale. Not to be confused with the Archie, Betty, Veronica kind of Riverdale, but it's actually named after a real community in Toronto, kind of like Degrassi was. Because a soap opera airs so many new episodes in such a short period of time, this meant Epitome needed to find a stable location to film their new series. Having their own production space would be a huge benefit to Linda and Steven, First off, they could film their show much faster. Not having to pack up and move around the city would be a huge time saver. This would also make a huge impact financially. Sure, it'd be expensive up front to cover the cost of building a new studio and building all the sets, but week to week, making the episodes would be so much cheaper. However, there is some downsides to having a production lot. For example, you can only build a certain amount of sets and locations in this small area. If your character only ever visits the same four or five places over and over again, the show can get old and boring pretty quickly. So Linda and Steven knew if they were going to invest in their own production space, they would have to find something huge. That's when they found 220 Bartley Drive, where they would eventually film Degrassi The Next Generation. But it didn't look anything like the infamous school we recognize it as today. It was just a giant warehouse. Those classrooms didn't exist. The iconic front steps were never there, and there were no paved roads, no street signs, no sidewalks, or all the other little details like mailboxes and bus stops. 
That was all put in by Linda Schuyler and Stephen Stone to really make the set come to life. And they even decided to build houses, grocery stores, and coffee shops. Everything you would need for a real city in Toronto. Linda had come a long way since the kids at Degrassi Street in 1979, where they relied heavily on the community to film their show. Now they could just build a community all of their own. In Stephen's book, he describes the first time that he and Linda visited the warehouse. He said, Everything was completely silent, except for our voices. We talked about what the future would bring, what it would be like to work together. We knew nothing about owning and operating a building, but we quickly got a crash course in how many little things can go wrong. The answer is an awful lot. So it was 1996 and they had their location. But what would happen over the next five years that would lead up to a brand new Degrassi? Well, one of the writers Linda Schuyler stayed in touch with was Yan Moore. He worked on Riverdale until it was eventually canceled in the year 2000. And then, well, they had to come up with a new idea. Ready, Willing, and Wired would be the next series from Yan, Linda, and Steven at Epitome Pictures, Inc. The idea was simple. The show would follow the lives of teenagers as they navigated their problems in a new world filled with technology, cell phones, and access to the internet. But how did that become Degrassi? Well, it wasn't until Yan sat down and did the math. If Emma was born in the season two finale of Degrassi Junior High, and you carry the one and you double the two, <laughs> by the time Ready, Willing, and Wired came out, Emma would be just old enough to be starting junior high school all on her own. So it was that simple. The idea for Degrassi The Next Generation was officially born. And Stephen goes much deeper into the story. He tells us how his wife almost quit television production completely because she was defeated by the cancellation of Riverdale, the show she really believed in for its honest storytelling. And Stephen breaks down how they managed to co-run a show together while also being married. And I can only imagine Linda Schuyler will be telling her perspective on this iconic moment in her new book, Mother of All Degrassi, which funny enough comes out on my birthday. It comes out on November 15th this year, which is crazy. <laughs> but for now, Riverdale is done and the idea for a new Degrassi is born. But this moment isn't the only thing that's keeping Degrassi in the forefront of Linda Schuyler's mind. Sure, Emma would be starting junior high school, but after 10 years since Degrassi's been off the air... Would anyone actually even care about it? Please welcome Joey and Snake, Pat Marciano and Stephen Baldwin. Why do you think the show is so popular? I, I just, I think that for the most part, we were just trying to be as real as possible. We weren't trying to be anything we weren't. People could relate to that. And the, the stories in it were real and were honest. Oh. <laughs> yep. On December 1st, 1999, the original Degrassi cast sat down for a reunion. The show Jonavision, hosted by Jonathan Torrens, who, funny enough, goes on to play Emma's dad in The Next Generation. Well, for now, he's an actor and a TV host who has brought together 13 of Degrassi's original cast, including Joey, Snake, Caitlin, Spike, BLT, Mr. Radich, and so many more. It's Jonavision's most popular episode ever. They allowed the audience to ask questions, and they played memorable clips from the show. Jonathan asked about the actors' real lives, what it was like on set, and of course, the infamous question, would you ever come back to do the show? Funny enough, Kevin Smith actually writes into Jonavision to say he's been a fan forever, and he'd follow them up until Degrassi the retirement years if he could. Nicole Stoffman, who played Stephanie Kay, tossed out a question to the live audience. She said, do you guys actually think there's a market for this? They all cheered. So Degrassi was brought back into the limelight with a reunion special of the original cast. 
Linda Schuyler's most recent project, Riverdale, had been pulled off the air and she needed to make a decision. Was she going to develop a new show or give up on television production completely? And Yan Moore did the math when he realized Emma Nelson will be starting her first day of Degrassi Junior High School. But there was one more thing that would solidify that now was the time to bring back Degrassi. The head of programming at CTV was Ivan Fetkin, and he ordered 13 brand new episodes of Degrassi, The Next Generation. And speaking of brand new episodes, I'd like to introduce you to our brand new Patreon subscriber. Carson Statton has just signed up as a member over on patreon.com slash Degrassi Kid. On top of this special shout out, Carson will receive my undying love, a follow on social media, and they'll get access to certain Patreon only content, like when I share photos from my Degrassi collection. If you want to be like Carson, you can sign up at the Doc Cafe tier for only $3 a month. So thank you, Carson, and I hope you enjoy this special episode. Cheers! Just because Degrassi's coming back doesn't mean everything is going to be the same. Now, Linda Schuyler had some real experience, and thanks to all the financial investment in Canadian programming, the world of television production was changing. This time, Linda Schuyler wasn't handing out flyers and looking for kids right off the street. Now, there were acting agencies, casting directors, everything on set was unionized, and they were no longer relying on their grassroots style to pull a production together. Degrassi The Next Generation was going to be more polished and more professional than ever before. This time, some of the kids actually had acting experience, but it was still important to Linda that they cast relatively unknown, age-appropriate kids for these classic Degrassi roles. The one thing that makes this generation stand out is you can actually find so much behind-the-scenes content online. Each Degrassi DVD was being produced with special features in mind, and the internet had just become so much more accessible since the 80s. For example, the season one DVD has the audition tapes for all of the new Degrassi kids. But because all of this behind the scenes stuff is so easy to find, and we're going to tackle nine years worth of Degrassi's history, this podcast is going to be structured a little different this week. Instead, I want to focus on answering two questions for each season that we break down. What is the standout episode that made an impact on Degrassi's legacy? And what is a key change happening behind the scenes that either made Degrassi more successful or held Degrassi back and eventually led to it being canceled? I think this episode is going to be so much fun. So let's get into these questions and dive on in to season one of Degrassi, The Next Generation. Mother and Daughter Reunion kicks off with a two-part reunion special that would mix the old cast from the 80s with the brand new Degrassi kids. For now, this reunion episode is seen as a transition, a passing of the torch. We've checked in and caught up with the old cast, and now it's time to focus on the lives of Emma and her new friends at Degrassi Community School. Linda didn't expect that the audience would actually want to stay caught up with the old characters and see where their lives are now. They thought, just like Jonovision, they'd only want to see a one-off reunion special to kind of check in. This is why Joey and Caitlin don't return again until season two. And even though we see Snake become a teacher and Spike stay on as Emma's mom, they don't actually start a relationship together until next year. But for now, all the core values from the original Degrassi are still the exact same. The stories are taken seriously from the kids' perspective, and they're not shying away from really tough storylines. In the very first episode, we see Emma being taken advantage of by an online predator. 
This is the main shift in storytelling between Degrassi High and Degrassi The Next Generation. How are kids navigating high school with new technology, like cell phones and access to the internet? After all, this was the premise for their original show, Ready, Willing, and Wired. Linda Schuyler said that even though 10 years had passed since Degrassi High, the challenges kids face in high school will always stay the same. When is the right time to have sex? What do I do if I'm pregnant? How do I cope with my parents' divorce? These are all questions teenagers will ask themselves, no matter what decade it is. And we can see it in the storylines that play out in both generations. In 2001, Toby and JT get curious about sex, so they look up porn websites online. Arthur and Yick had the same curiosity in 1987, except they found a VHS tape called Swamp Sex Robots. <laughs> Rumors get spread about Caitlin having an inappropriate relationship with Miss Avery in Degrassi Junior High. The same storyline happens to Liberty and Mr. Armstrong, but the rumors are spread via email. And it doesn't always have to have this internet twist, by the way. Some of the storylines are just the exact same. Ashley experiments with drugs at a sleepover and has a falling out with her best friend. Kathleen experiments with drugs at a sleepover and has a falling out with her best friend. Jimmy's parents are never home and so he feels abandoned. Lucy's parents are never home and so she feels abandoned. The first season of Degrassi cements the idea that even though time has gone by, teen issues don't change but the world in which they happen is constantly evolving. And it's sticking true to these core values from the 80s and these familiar character types that makes Degrassi so successful. In my opinion, it's the only reason why Degrassi can exist in both 1982 and 2008, for example. Even with this upcoming reboot in 2023, for it to truly be considered Degrassi, they have to keep this formula and they have to keep these kind of storylines. Otherwise, why call it Degrassi at all? But for now, back in 2002, Degrassi kicks off its second season, and the stories aren't slowing down anytime soon. I didn't even want to do it, Hazel. I said no over and over. You said no? And he didn't listen? He just pushed me down harder. He didn't stop. He wouldn't stop. Paige. Honey. If you said no, that's rape. In season two, Paige willingly goes upstairs at a party and comes down with a really tough question to answer. Was what I just experienced considered rape? The season opened with Craig being abused by his dad. After Paige's assault, the show tackles terrorism and hate crimes against Muslim students only one year after 9-11. Degrassi is still holding true to the idea that if kids are talking about it on the schoolyard, it's important to talk about it on the show. Even if religious groups, parents, or broadcasters think these topics might be too mature for young kids to handle. And I actually agree. I wish a 16-year-old wouldn't have to be educated about rape. But because they're statistically four times more likely to be the victim of sexual assault, I'm glad Degrassi's actually talking about it. I think these groups that push back against Degrassi and their storylines just find it too hard to accept that their young kids might not be safe. And Lauren Collins, who plays Paige, says, Because of Degrassi's honesty and storytelling, it's good for both parents and kids to watch the show together at home. She said, I think it's important that the parents understand these are things that come up at school. But still, Paige doesn't actually go to her mom right away. Instead, she goes to her best friend, Hazel, and the two talk about it at school, in the girls' bathroom. Lauren said, Your best friend is who you tell everything to. So I think it made sense that Hazel would be the one to get it out of Paige be the reason she finally tells someone. You can't keep these things to yourself. They won't go away. 
And it's because of thoughtful storytelling decisions like this that Degrassi becomes the most watched series for the American broadcaster The N, or as we know it now, Teen Nick. And the recognition doesn't stop there. Behind the scenes, Degrassi is starting to get noticed for their revolutionary website, Degrassi.tv. Stephen Stone came up with the idea to develop a website that coordinated with Degrassi's broadcasts on TV. The site would provide deeper storytelling and give a place for fans to interact, creating a unique experience online. Every day, Stephen would go onto the forums and post about filming Degrassi. He said, people ask questions and I post updates. I enjoy interacting with the viewers, sometimes creating little contests and giving away t-shirts or memorabilia. This website was so innovative for its time that it went on to win several multimedia awards. And in 10 years, Degrassi will do it all over again when they make Twitter pages for every single one of their characters on the show. But for now, almost half a million people register for Degrassi.tv, creating their own locker pages, posting journal entries, and even interacting with the actual Degrassi characters. Now, it wasn't the actors making these posts. Instead, writers of the show would use their experience with the characters to write blog posts, talk to fans, or answer questions just like you were another kid at Degrassi. So when you sit down to watch an episode of the show and Ashley breaks up with Jimmy, for example, well, you could go on to Degrassi TV and read a blog post about Ashley's inner thoughts. Maybe she'll even tell more of the story that we didn't get to see in the episode. And you can leave comments, chat with other fans, share your best wishes for Ashley as she goes through this tough time, or stand up for Jimmy and tell Ashley to grow up. <laughs> the website's developer, Raja Khanna, said Degrassi TV was an early form of social media, but at the time, they referred to it as an online community engine. It's hard to imagine in 2001 using the internet to build websites and connect with real people all over the world about a TV show. For reference, it would still be another two years before MySpace was even created as a website. And online, Degrassi fans held a lot of power. Degrassi's coffee shop, The Dot, was named by a fan who posted on Degrassi TV. Little Ozzy created a message board where the title was simply just a period or a dot. It quickly became the largest forum on the website with over 30,000 posts. And it's the reason we get The Dot in season three. Isn't that crazy? A fan created the dot on the Degrassi website and that it was in the show. Like, I have to find them and get them on my podcast. <laughs> this also meant for the first time, television producers could get instant feedback from real fans. Now it wasn't just ratings and adults writing reviews in newspapers. It was real kids with real opinions. And as we know with the internet, people will be brutally honest and let you know if they like what you're doing or if they don't. <laughs> and with season three right around the corner, it was very clear that the fans were loving the stories in Degrassi, The Next Generation. Spank, I think I'm pregnant. Accidents Will Happen is a season three episode that is so controversial, it ends up being banned in America. However, I already did a complete podcast on this episode titled How Degrassi Handles Controversy. We talk about how many times they were allowed to say abortion, why they never bring up Manny's abortion ever again, <laughs> and why the broadcasters didn't want Manny to seem too happy at the end of her episode. Overall, season three is by far my favorite season in the franchise. It also holds the standout episode Pride, which is when we see this iconic moment happen between Spinner and his best friend Marco. You just walked out on a date with one of Degrassi's coolest girls for your mom's pasta sauce? It doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Oh yeah? 
Then stop crying and explain it to me, because obviously I'm a moron and don't get yeah, it. Because, man. Because what? Because I'm gay. Oh, that scene gets me literally every single time. Through the rest of the series, Marco navigates a relationship with Paige's older brother, Dylan. And it was important to Degrassi that Dylan and Marco's relationship issues of jealousy and heartbreak weren't treated any differently just because they were a gay couple. But still, Degrassi faced a lot of pushback for their topic of homosexuality and teenagers. The actor who played Dylan said, I couldn't believe I was going to be a part of such intense controversy. The first gay kiss on children's television. Sarah Lindman from The End said, Degrassi gives teenagers the tools to potentially deal with these situations. The show gives the audience the respect to realize they're ready to deal with these controversial topics and intense issues. And an important change happens during this time as well. The Degrassi classic cast is really starting to get their own storylines independent of any of the kids being around. Linda and Steven realized that their audience at the reunion episode was close to a 50-50 split. The older generation was coming back to see their favorites like Joey, Spike, and Caitlin, and a younger generation was tuning in to see how Emma, Manny, and Craig navigate high school. It's this season that really cements the idea that the original Degrassi cast can break the adult rule. They can be two adults having a private conversation together on screen because they were once kids on the show themselves. But even though season three is monumental in telling hard-hitting stories like Marco's coming out or Manny's abortion or even Ellie's self-harm storyline, it's actually season four where Degrassi really starts to go there. You were the gunman's friend. Do you know who he was after or why he did it? I don't know. Did you try and stop him? What was I supposed to do? Let's go. Did the gunman say anything before he died? Died? The school shooting episode would have close to a million people watching as Rick Murray gets severely bullied and brings a gun to school. This was a big moment for Degrassi. Whether you're telling stories about suicide, self-harm, or gun violence, you have to be careful not to glorify these issues. That basically means you don't want to make it look cool to cut yourself or use a gun. Degrassi could be the very first time someone in their young and impressionable audience is introduced to these violent images and harmful ideas. And the last thing you want to do is be the reason someone decides to try it for themselves. Linda Schuyler said you want to make sure you're getting it right. At the end of the day, we hope we've put out the most responsible piece possible. Degrassi also had to navigate this difficult topic with one core value in mind. Degrassi didn't rely on guest stars to deal with tough issues. On most TV shows, the main character is always reacting to other people in tough situations. A main character who volunteers with AIDS patients. A main character who gets a new best friend that ends up pregnant. <laughs> but on Degrassi, Dwayne got AIDS. Manny gets pregnant. So which character all of a sudden was going to become a school shooter? That's when the writers remembered Rick Murray, the young boy who last season abused his girlfriend and put her in a coma. At the end of the episode, Rick leaves Degrassi and we never hear from him again. Until partway through season four, when Rick goes to therapy, takes anger management classes, and re-enrolls at Degrassi Community School. Immediately, Rick is picked on. He's shoved against lockers, he's called names, they break his glasses. And finally, after Rick proves himself by winning the Whack Your Brain Quiz Bowl, he stands proud in front of the entire school as they accept him and cheer him on. And in that exact moment, we learn Rick's been set up, and a bucket of paint and feathers falls all over him. This would be Rick's final straw. 
This is easily Degrassi's most well-known episode. It's the one story that can make me cry just by thinking about it. So I'm sure you can only imagine if Degrassi was facing pushback for airing stories about teenagers who get pregnant or teenagers who have gay crushes, what did people think about an episode all about gun violence in a school? Susan Boyce, the president of programming for CTV, said, Degrassi continues to push the envelope and we wouldn't have it any other way. At the time, something else major happens. Not only is Degrassi winning Gemini Awards and being recognized for their innovation and website design, but the New York Times writes an article and declares Degrassi as the best teen TV in the world. They write a lengthy article going through all the show's highlights for its 25th anniversary. This 25-year milestone will go on to become a huge celebration, with mall tours, the Degrassi 411 guide, a behind-the-scenes special, and now online bonus content like mini-sodes, interviews with the cast, and tours of the set. In season five, the series opens up with over 750,000 viewers. And by episode two, they officially hit the 1 million mark. If you don't remember, that's the moment when Manny Santos says this iconic line. You can sell this for a million dollars because I'm going to be famous. Manny Santos, my how you've grown. <laughs> and in season five, the series ends with our first graduation of Paige, Hazel, Marco, and it just so happens to be Degrassi's 100th episode. Susan Boyce said, not only are we proud of the accolades that Degrassi has received this past year, but also in how the series continues to evolve. It's been five years and Degrassi's still pushing boundaries, still getting teens talking about really important issues. And speaking of awards, Degrassi goes on to win the Teen Choice Award for Choice Summer Series, which is huge, especially for a Canadian TV show. It's never been done before. If you visited the set of Degrassi in real life, that huge Teen Choice Awards surfboard was one of the very first thing you'd see when you walked into the production office. And like, it was actually massive. <laughs> but anyway, for now, Degrassi's on top of the world. Thousands of kids are lining up at malls for hours and hours just to get an autograph from Spinner or a picture with Paige. To explain how popular Degrassi was at the time, stores were even taking down their Harry Potter displays to replace them with brand new Degrassi DVDs. But, like, that's major. <laughs> now Degrassi had a 25-year legacy behind it. But it was season six that was going to give us one of the most show-stopping moments in Degrassi's history. When J.T. York gets stabbed and rush to the hospital. I need to speak to a family member. His grandma's coming, but she'll be a few hours. Wait, and talk to me and his brother. His aorta was punctured. It's a main artery and we couldn't repair the damage. He didn't make it. What, what? <laughs> You're joking. I'm sorry, your brother's gone. This heartbreaking moment in Degrassi's history would go on to divide their loyal fan base. Anytime I talk to someone who grew up with this generation Degrassi, the most common phrase I hear is, oh, I stopped watching that show after JT died. And it didn't help that fan favorites like Paige, Marco, and Ellie had already graduated. But I wondered, how did Ryan Cooley, the actor who played JT for the last six years, how did he feel about being killed off the series, not getting to graduate with the rest of the cast, or even having the opportunity to ever come back. In real life, Ryan Cooley was considering going back to school, and JT being killed off actually made that decision much easier. He said filming the episode was a huge challenge, but he actually really liked that JT had a big and personal send-off for his character. 
He said, in a way, it was kind of cool to be that guy. JT was the first regular character that Degrassi ever killed off. I think it was more exciting to leave the show with a bang. At the start of the season, Degrassi's American Network said, Degrassi has an extremely loyal audience, and ratings consistently outperform expectations. But it's this specific moment with JT that is the turning point where those extremely loyal fans start to fall off. And the college storylines aren't really helping. Marco's addicted to online gambling, Alex becomes a stripper, and Ellie starts dating her boss. Linda Schuyler said, It's a bold move for Degrassi, but we want to stay with them as they deal with more adult problems, most of which come with bigger consequences. Now, it does make sense for Degrassi to stay with the kids as they go off to college. Look at how the fans reacted to the original cast coming back as adults. Look at how devastated the fans were when they lost JT. All signs are telling Degrassi that their fan base will stay with them. So then why didn't they come back for season seven? Season seven of The Next Generation has some hard-hitting stories. Darcy gets assaulted, Spinner gets cancer, and Paige gets exposed to HIV. But in my opinion, there is no one episode that stands out and lives up to the hype of Manny's abortion episode, Marco's coming out, or Rick bringing a gun to school. But why? If Degrassi's still following the same formula with the same cast and the same it-goes-there stories that were once so successful, why aren't the fans getting excited and coming back for more episodes? On top of JT's death, I think there's actually three reasons why Degrassi's ratings started to fall during the season. First, the audience was growing up. If you started watching Degrassi when you were 13, by season 7, you're now 20 years old. Super fans like me and you will still be watching, sure, but your average Degrassi fan isn't in high school anymore, and they started to grow out of this little teen television show. When we get into the next era of Degrassi, we'll actually talk about how this was a valuable lesson for the show. They realized they needed to embrace that their audience was growing up and moving on. Sure, super fans like Kevin Smith will watch until the retirement years, but Degrassi's regular fan base is just regular high school students. That's why you'll start to see the characters become almost like a revolving door. Each year, an old class will graduate and a new class will come in, and the audience will be doing the exact same thing. But for now, Degrassi is only just realizing that their loyal fan base will also grow up and move on, just like the characters do. Linda didn't need to learn this lesson in the 80s because when the class graduated in Degrassi High, they just ended the show. <laughs> but this time, Degrassi needed a new next generation. And it's actually Degrassi's writer Matt Heater who explains why the college years were never really going to work in the first place. But why does high school make for better TV storytelling than university? After going through this on Degrassi, we realize the answer. High schools are small, institutional spaces with concrete walls and occasionally a courtyard to pace in. High school is kind of like prison. <laughs> Once you've graduated and you're in university, you're basically free to do whatever you want. If you want to skip class, you can skip class as much as you want. No one's going to call your parents. Eventually, you might flunk out and have to go home and admit to your folks that you squandered your tuition money, but that's a story that takes a whole year, and most of it features you sitting on your couch, getting high, eating ramen, and playing video games. Not the most exciting TV drama. But in high school, if you skip class, they call your parents. So you have to go to high school, no matter what. Even if you professed your love for your crush behind the bleachers after the volleyball finals last night, and he said no and laughed in your face, you still have to show up and sit next to him in first period algebra this morning. You have no choice. You are trapped. 
High school like prison is so much better for TV storytelling than university because everything is immediate and vital and feels life or death. You're stuck inside the same walls for a set period of time with people you love and people you hate. Wardens are everywhere to make sure you're always where you're supposed to be and following all the rules. You keep yourself as busy as you can and forge deep and meaningful relationships to help you survive. After you get out, you believe you'll finally go on to do great things, but until then, you focus on keeping your head down, doing your time, and making it as good as you possibly can under the circumstances. It makes total sense that when you go to college, the stakes are just totally different. If you skip school, it doesn't matter. If you get into a fight with your friend, you don't have to see them. If you fail a class, no one's going to call your mom. It totally makes sense why it didn't work. But if the audience was so excited to see the 80s kids come back as adults, why didn't they care about seeing Marco and Ellie become adults? And I think it's all because of the power of nostalgia. We're not really that nostalgic for our high school memories in our first year of college. <laughs> but if 10 years go by, of course, you're going to want to see what Marco, Ellie, Emma and Craig are all up to. We just need to give them time. So a changing fan base and a dwindling amount of pressure are two reasons why Degrassi's fan base is leaving the show behind. But what's the third? Well, in my opinion, because they assumed the audience wanted the college years, Degrassi didn't set themselves up for anything else. Each year, they did introduce new and interesting characters to the audience, but they were always just in the same grade. They didn't have the foresight to introduce a new graduating class every single year like they do now. And now that Emma and Manny's generation were quickly heading towards graduation themselves, Degrassi had to do something quick to fill up their building. That's when the rival school Lakehurst High conveniently burns to the ground. Something straight out of Degrassi Junior High, I might add. <laughs> so season seven introduces us to an entire school worth of new students all at the same time. We meet Holly J, Anya, Sav, Jane, Mia, Johnny, Lucas, Damien, Bruce, and the list just goes on and on. Now, to be fair, we do meet some of these characters in season six, like Mia Jones and Johnny DeMarco. But their main plot lines in season seven will basically just be about the relationships they've already established at Lakehurst. <laughs> so it goes on to beg the question, are we really even watching Degrassi anymore? It also doesn't help that two of their main and established characters, Mia and Darcy, will leave the show for other acting roles in real life. Nina Dobrev goes on to The Vampire Diaries, and Sinead Grimes joins the reboot of Beverly Hills 90210. Their sudden cover-ups of Mia becoming a model or Darcy running off to Africa feel totally rushed and completely unrealistic. Even more so when Darcy's younger sister Claire becomes a main character in the show. Claire faces pregnancy, she faces cancer, she goes through sexual harassment, and Darcy never checks in on her <laughs> because in real life, the actress is just never coming back. Degrassi wasn't shaping up well going into its eighth season. Sure, they're pulling in half a million viewers per episode, but shows like Corner Gas were pulling in over a million each week on CTV, and The Amazing Race was seeing up to two million. By the end of season eight, Degrassi would fall as low as 140,000 viewers per episode. And when the CEO of your distribution company calls to schedule a meeting out of the blue, the news probably isn't going to be that good. Degrassi has had its day. It's been great, but it's gotten tired, and it's time to move on. That's what Ivan Fetkin said to Linda and Steven when he officially canceled Degrassi in 2009. The series was airing their eighth season and already in the middle of producing season nine. 
Funny enough, Ivan loved the season eight finale Degrassi Goes Hollywood so much that in that same meeting, he actually proposed to Linda and Steven that they turn it into a series. He gave them $200,000 to make The L.A. Complex, a show about Canadians trying to find work as actors in Hollywood. It's filmed on the same set as Degrassi. It's made by the same people as Degrassi, and it even has some of the same cast as Degrassi. The show that Ivan Fetkin just canceled. <laughs> but to be fair, even though this Hollywood fantasy movie did really well, the overall fan reaction is still declining. Paige's HIV storyline is never wrapped up. All of her character development goes out of the window when she turns into a total bitch and throws her friends under the bus so she can become an actress something that she's never really cared about. <laughs> the kids all run off to Hollywood where they meet celebrities and become rock stars or famous actors. It's fun, and I liked it, but it's not really Degrassi. Even Lauren Collins said herself that she doesn't consider the movies to be canon, meaning that they didn't really happen in the show. It's just a fun story to tell and a way to play around with the characters in a movie, she said. But Stefan Brogren defended Degrassi Goes Hollywood, saying it's all Degrassi, it's just the storylines are elevated and the characters are put into unique environments. Either way, Ivan Fetkin has seen the show slowly decline year after year, and he's not impressed. Degrassi just hasn't been able to maintain the same success they were seeing in Degrassi High or in season four with the school shooting and Kevin Smith's cameo appearances. Degrassi is officially canceled. But what are they going to do? Season 9 already has all of their scripts written. Sav, Anya, Claire, and Holly J are about to take over the halls of Degrassi. And newcomers Declan and Fiona Coyne are already hired on and added to the roster. What were Linda and Steven going to tell them? Well, they said nothing. They didn't tell anyone. Instead, Steven quickly went to work figuring out how they were going to keep Degrassi on the air despite its poor ratings. And in the next podcast, I'm going to tell you how season 10 brought Degrassi back to life and how for the first time in 30 years, Degrassi changes its formula to become one of the most watched television shows all over again. But there are some things that we haven't mentioned yet. Some Degrassi fans argued that the show's popularity never actually fell off at all. They argued that the teenage audience just wasn't watching it on TV anymore because they were watching it online. Degrassi was actually the first television show in Canada that you could download to watch. With the influx of portable devices like MP3 players and iPods, Degrassi saw an opportunity. And of course, after making the first Canadian soap opera, after developing a successful interactive website, it was no surprise that Degrassi would lead the market in streaming or downloading episodes online. Degrassi's director of digital marketing said, Creatively, Degrassi has always tried to break new ground in television, so it's only fitting. But if digital downloads of Degrassi were so groundbreaking, where did they fit into the television ratings? Sure, Degrassi was only pulling in half a million viewers on television, but how many downloads were happening online? And does it really matter? CTV's entire profit margin comes from the fact that they sell commercial space in between the episodes as they air on TV. If fans aren't watching it on TV and instead going directly online to buy and download an episode, that isn't really good for Ivan. Sure, it's groundbreaking at the time, but often being the first to do something major like this means the world isn't set up for you to succeed. To understand the context of online streaming at the time, the most popular streaming site, Netflix, doesn't even start offering online streaming services for another four years after Degrassi does. At this point, they're still mailing out DVDs. Degrassi was ahead of its time. 
But was this new idea actually detrimental to its success as a television show? There's a million questions I could ask, and I've already thrown a lot at you already. But it's really interesting to think about all these things that happen behind the scenes. Most of the people who actually worked on Degrassi had no idea it was ever cancelled, let alone fans who are just casually watching it on TV. But if even one thing happened differently behind the scenes, we might have a totally different show. Or we might not have one at all. But with that said, finally, I think it's time, after going through nine seasons of Degrassi's history, that we get to the important moment that you've been waiting for. We get into our final breakdown on the history of Degrassi, The Next Generation. But before we go through our final thoughts, I want to say a huge thank you to my Patreon subscribers. Riley, Sarah J, and Stevie are subscribed to the Degrassi Kid Mail Adoption. Their support of the podcast means the world to me. And because I promised Stevie a special shout-out this week, Stevie, I love you. Alyssa and Randy get their own special shout-out for being real Degrassi kids. And a big, big amount of love has to go to my ultimate Degrassi fans. Annie C and Annie M, Ashley, Brittany, Chrissy, Evie, Glenn, Kat, Lucy, Max, Najama, Owen, Rachel, Rebecca, Shelby, Sierra, Steven, and Teal. Thank you guys for making my Degrassi dreams come true. Now, let's get into it. After a successful Degrassi cast reunion and a math equation that meant the time was just right, Degrassi The Next Generation kicks off with a brand new and hard-hitting episode about the dangers of online predators, showing off that they're still the same old Degrassi, but with a new twist. Degrassi teaches us, what does high school look like when kids have access to the internet? Each year, Degrassi builds its success higher and higher by having standout moments, like Paige's sexual assault, Manny's abortion, and the school shooting episode. That is, until season six, where they decide to kill off one of their most beloved characters, JT York. After assuming Degrassi fans would want to follow their favorite characters into college, the show's audience actually decreases as they've started to grow up and move on in the real world. Despite Degrassi leading the pack in online engagement, their views on television start to go down, losing over 80% of their original audience along the way. This huge decline leads to Degrassi being officially cancelled by season 9. But it's actually the season 9 finale, Degrassi Takes Manhattan, that will pull the show out of its rut and skyrocket it into a newfound success all over again. Next time, we'll look at how Degrassi goes from being cancelled to becoming one of the most anticipated teen television shows all around the world, doubling their episode put out, increasing their production value, and changing history one more time by dropping a music video to prepare for their next season. But for now, let's play it on out with the iconic promo, Shark in the Water. Thanks, guys. Sometimes I get